Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of the shepherds here. And uh, we continue our series in Genesis, and um, it's uh, it's a little bit of uh, fear and trepidation as we start, just to, for a man to be talking about women and uh, the making of women. Um, but we'll get there, and uh, I'll just ask for some some grace right off the bat. Uh, the reality is, is that this passage is actually a, a really fun uh, perspective and a way to look at, at God in a unique way. And if you remember, as we have started this series on Genesis, one of the things that we've been doing is been looking at that character of God and the nature of man and how those two work together, what, what our relationship is with God. And as we've started, before man was even created, it's all been about God. And so we're still a little bit in this story now, but we get some bit of Adam and then Eve is created right in in the the very end of this passage. So the thing that stands out right from the beginning is this idea that God stops and says, it's not good for man to be alone. And this is the type of thing where um, we might think about that right off the bat and go, you know, did God miss something? Did God make a mistake when he made Adam? This idea that he's made everything and everything's perfect and all of creation is going along. And then he stops and he looks at Adam and he goes, oh man, that's not good. Now, some of you women don't say amen. Um, You know, it's that kind of thing that right off the bat, you're like, well, we knew that. You just leave my husband alone for the weekend. You should see the house. It is not good to leave man alone. There's all kinds of of things like that that just flow out of our mind when we look at this. But what I want you to understand is that God has been creating everything in his creation perfectly, including God or including man in his loneliness. That this is the idea that God creates in us longings, yearnings, parts about us that he doesn't fully fulfill, that he leaves us in certain Um, situations where we crave things and we long for things. How many of you are hungry right now? Yeah, a couple of you and a few more just got hungry just thinking about food. But here's the idea is that's a normal thing and that's a good thing that tells us when we're hungry, when we're thirsty, when we're longing for companionship, when we're lonely is something that God stops and says, I have made you that way. So right off the bat, this idea that it's not good for man to be alone isn't a flaw. It's something that God is doing from the very beginning. And he's saying, I'm making man with this need to be with others. But now I need to point it out. I actually need to show you that it's not good for you to be alone. So this concept right off the bat, that this idea that it's not good for man to be alone It's not just God figuring it out and going, oops, I I forgot something there. It's actually God helping Adam figure it out that there's something longing there. Because Adam could have just gone through life. He's not had any other emotions. He's not been with people and then now not with people. And he's like, I liked it better when I was with people. Therefore, now I'm lonely. He's only always felt this. And because he's only always felt this, that felt normal. That was the only thing he'd ever felt. And in that moment, God has to stop and say, it's not good for you to be alone. And I need to actually teach you this. 
So we start to stack up a couple of character traits about God. The first one is this idea that God knows what man's need is before man even knows he has a need. Think about that for a second. God knows what you need before you even know you have a need. He's already aware of the challenges and the things that are missing in your life and the things that are hurting in your life and the things that are happening in your life before you even know that. That principle is laid out so clearly in this little line when it stops and says, and God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And then the story begins to unpack as God reveals to Adam the things that are there. And so the story goes on. Then this is verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Again, this situation that did God not know that there wouldn't be a helper among the animals? Clearly he knew that. He already knew what he was going to do. The issue here comes down to this idea that God does know. He already knows about our needs. He knows us well. And so what God is doing in this is the second thing. So the first one is, is God knows. And the second one is God teaches us. This is remarkable that at the very beginning, Adam is just created. And the first thing you see God doing after he's done creation is he is now teaching Adam. He is coming alongside of Adam and he's guiding him and he's revealing things to him. And he's teaching man that God desires to reveal to us more than we know. And this concept is tough for some of us because we think we already know everything. Adam, he's like, I know all things. And God's like, you don't know nothing yet. But Adam had this sense. And in fact, the naming of the animals is is really stunning. If you go through all the commentaries and you listen to all the scholars, they talk about how brilliant Adam is. And they say, look, he gave names to all of the animals. And it's like, that's not brilliant. He could call them anything he wanted. And there was not even anybody to argue with him. There wasn't anybody to say, no, that's not a giraffe. That's a giraffe. He could call whatever he wanted to be a giraffe. Who knows? Maybe elephants should have been giraffes. Nobody could correct Adam. He gave that name. It doesn't matter what he called something. So this idea that, and I'm not saying that Adam wasn't brilliant. He was sinless at this point. God had created him with a brilliant mind. But just think about where we get wisdom and intelligence so often is from experiences. And how many experiences have Adam had? Almost none. So at this moment... God is not only one that knows all about Adam, he created him, but now he's also one that comes alongside of Adam and says, and now I'm going to teach you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to guide you in this thing called life. This is a beautiful idea for us when we're still alive, when we're in life, that God stops and says, come on, I will guide you. I will walk with you. And this is the the first two principles that are just sitting right on the surface of this story that God knows us and he knows our needs and that God teaches us. Sometimes that teaching is through pain and struggle and suffering. 
this whole idea of what he's teaching in this process is that it's not good for man to be alone. He needs to teach Adam. It's not good for you to be alone. This loneliness you're feeling, I'm going to let you feel loneliness so that you will learn this lesson. Have any of you learned anything through painful struggles and trials? I have. That this is God saying, this is true about you. And I'm going to teach something in your life. And I may take you through some painful times, some struggling times. Now, we cannot say these words, it is not good for man to be alone without actually addressing the problem of singleness. This whole thing of this story is that God stops and says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates a woman and he puts them together and he talks about marriage and he says, this is the thing that it is designed to be. And this is good. It is very good. And for those of you who may be single today and you're looking at it and you're saying, yeah, but what about me? This story is still troubling to me. Well, I just want to let you know that this principle still plays. That God knows your pain. God knows your singleness. And I, I listened to some sermons. I read some books where people would literally address this question by stopping and saying, oh, but, you know, things are going to be good and things will be great. And they just try to, to, you know, put a little frosting on it and say, hey, this is going to be okay. And it's like, it's not okay. God is actually saying that the preferred model here is that I have designed a soul to have a soulmate and to be together. But that doesn't mean that if you're single, God isn't aware of it. God knows it. He knows your needs and he's involved in it. Christina and I were just having this conversation this morning and in the, this whole question about singleness, because just like me talking about a, a woman, when I'm a man, when it comes down to talking about singleness, I'm a married man. And I haven't spent a lot of my life single. A short period of my life was single. And that whole concept is, is an opportunity for us as a congregation to recognize the truth in this statement that it's not good for man to be alone, meaning that there's still community that we all need and crave. That even if we know somebody single, one of the best things we can do is to invite them into our life and be in community with them. It's not always the best thing to say, my goal is to get you married. Like we're gonna solve it. God's aware of that situation but rather to walk alongside them. And Christina just shared the story of how the Freeman family has just adopted her in and has allowed her to come to their house at any point in time. And, and she is a part of a family that just helps her in community. Now, I've just called out Christina being single. So all of you guys that are single, let me give you her phone number. No, you understand? That's us trying to somehow fix something. As if she's flawed by being single. The fact is, is that God sometimes leaves us in those positions for work he is doing in our life, for things he wants to teach us, for ministry he wants us to do in singleness. That shows up elsewhere in scripture. I could go on about that, but that's not the main point. I just needed to put a word there. And uh, the the one thing that that I, I think needs to be reminded of is that This little phrase, and it's almost too cliche, bumper sticker-ish, but that Jesus was single. And I don't mean that that's such a good thing. I mean that Jesus felt the pain of being alone and not having somebody. 
that when you stop, that if you're lonely right now in your singleness, you know that God knows your need and you know that he has felt it. He has been there. And turn to him in that. All right. As we jump into this, um, the, the third thing, and this isn't really the third thing, but I do just have to call it out, is that what God does next, when, the, when there's nothing there amongst the animals, then in verse 21, it says, so that the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. I love this. The third most major point of this talk is that God gives men naps. <laughs> it is right here in scripture. And I just love this. This is biblically just underscored right there. This is God actively involved in giving Adam a nap. Amen to that. Men? Amen? Yeah, there we go. You can pay me later for that one. But uh, that's just it. I love that passage. That's just so good. Um, actually, the problem is, is likely the reason why he put Adam to sleep. It wasn't so much anesthesia because God could have made it painless. I think he put Adam to sleep so that Adam wouldn't take any credit in what was about to happen. Because don't we do that? The minute we're involved in something that's going on, that something God's doing, we stop to go, oh yeah, and then I told him this. And then I was able to share with him that. And then I did this, and then I did that. And God's like, yeah, you're not a part of this. I'm gonna just put you down for a moment. And he literally turns the off switch on Adam. So that he can do his work and create Eve. So this concept of God involved in this whole thing. In fact, this this idea that that Adam would step up and and somehow have an idea of what was the best thing to do in this moment. Um, There's a part of the the ancient Hebrew manuscripts where they found a, a section where it was God talking with Adam about the creation of woman. And Adam had gone out and given a list of, you know, if I'm lonely, why don't we create somebody who would be a perfect mate for you? And so Adam says, yeah, let me give you my wish list. And he said, I'd like uh, whatever this being is to be incredibly beautiful and should be really strong. You know, somebody to carry the other end of a piano. And it'd be really awesome if they were super like tall or at least had really long arms so that they could just like change light bulbs for me. And if they were able to like sports and, you know, were good in battle and um, they like to eat pizza and things like that. And, and so Adam's just going off on and on about all the things that he loves and thinking, if I could create a being that was just the, all the things that I need in life and, and the things that I think would be awesome, that would be great. And God says, yeah, that list right there, that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. So Adam says, well, what could I get for a rib? Uh, I've been waiting all week for that. It's the stupidest joke ever, but it's just like, come on. You know, that's all right. Here's the point, though. There is a point to this. And literally, I almost dropped that joke. But then I thought, no, it actually illustrates a great point. What does man think of when he decides to create something? This is fascinating because we've been around for thousands of years. And when we think of creating a different being, have you seen the beings we have created? They're aliens. They are like green creatures with skinny legs and egg-shaped heads or pointy heads and bulbous eyes. 
And my apologies if you think I'm talking about somebody in your family. I'm talking about green aliens. I'm talking about the idea that we think through the idea of creating any other species than what has already been created. And we create bizarre things, really strange things. And none of them are beautiful. In fact, at any point in time, when an artist tries to create a creature that's beautiful, it almost always has some woman look to it. It's fascinating. You go look at any other type of being that's created artistically by men over the centuries, and we're just not very good at it. I think it's a good thing that God put Adam to sleep. I think it's a good thing that when he created woman, it was just him. And he had this idea in mind. So this thing here that when God, he's just created whales and butterflies and kangaroos, cheetahs, honey badgers, even kittens. And now he slows down and he rolls up his sleeves. I don't know that God has sleeves, but he would roll them up if he did. And at that point, even the ingredients he uses is different than every other ingredient that was there. When he makes the animals, it says he takes them out of the dirt. That Adam himself was created out of the dirt. But not Eve. Eve was the one who was created out of different ingredients entirely. Pulled out of the sight of man and created to be a unique, divinely inspired creature. That was a gift to this question of the loneliness of man. And God stopped and said, this is very good. This is a beautiful story. We could stop right there and pray, but we got a couple more minutes. So I'll sneak in a couple more ideas. This thing here. So number one, God knows what we need before we even know we need it. Number two, God guides us and teaches us. He's a life coach with us. He walks alongside us. Number three, His God is generous. He gives. Listen to this in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. That God stops, sees what Adam's need is, solves that problem, makes this incredible creature and then brings her to Adam and says, Hey, I have a gift for you. What an incredible gift. God is generous. God is overflowing with really good things for us. And he gives to them. He gives them to us daily, not women daily. Don't, you shouldn't be getting a woman a day. All right. I just came out wrong. But the idea is, is that he gives us gifts daily. He, he gives us life. He gives us all kinds of things in our life that are just wonderful. That is in the nature and character of God. And this particular story, it is this idea of God bringing the woman to, to man. Now, there's a thing about women once this phrase comes up, and this is where we start to get nervous and a little bit, the culture has things about this idea of the woman being a helper. All of the questions about what a woman has been is that Adam is alone, I will make a helper fit for him. And as soon as we hear that, then we start to get nervous. What does that mean? Where are you going with this? And so we're going to skip that and we're going to jump down to chapter three. The word there is... Azur. It's E-Z-U-R. Azur. And it means helper. 
But the way we look at helper in our common day language, helper seems like more of an assistant that we might have somebody would come along that if, if you've got Michelangelo and he's painting the ceiling, he might have a helper that's going to hand him a brush or a different color paint that, that a helper is sort of like an assistant. And that idea is not the concept that's here. Um, recently, uh, Patty, she runs all of our facilities. Patty called in sick. And as she sent in a text to myself and a couple of others on the team, she says, hey, I'm not feeling well today. I'm going to have to run by the office and get my laptop and stuff. But then I'm going to need to just work at home for the rest of the day. I'm just not doing well. And it wasn't, I mean, I literally have picked up my phone. I'm reading the text message. And as I'm reading the text message, another message pops up and it's John Schaefer. And John Schaefer stops and says, Patty, if it's all right, I can run by and pick up your cords and your laptop and drop them off so you don't have to come in. Well, what a thoughtful guy, right? And what Patty does next is she goes, oh, John, that would be so awesome. That would be such a good help for me. You see, that idea of help is the idea that we assist somebody, we see somebody's need, and we go and serve and meet their needs. That's the typical thing that hangs with us on that word. But in this particular case, this is not that word. This word is used 21 times throughout scripture in the Old Testament. And every time it's used, with the exception of maybe four different passages, every other time it is used, it is referring to God himself. It is God as the helper. It is God doing these things. It is God coming alongside. In fact, we're going to turn to a couple of them. If you've got your Bibles, jump to Psalm 70. And in Psalm 70, verses 4 and 5, you get a little picture of this. This is uh, uh, David is writing and he stops and he says, May all who seek you, God, may all who seek you, Rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help. That's the word, Azur. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord. Do not delay. There is no way that David is calling God his assistant. This is not the role. The word is more of an ally. So let's look at one more, Psalms 121. And in Psalms 121, um, this is one that uh, most of us probably almost have memorized or we've sung. But in Psalms 121, verses 1 and 2, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my etzer, my help, come from? Verse 2, my help, etzer, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is not our little helper. God is an ally. And this idea of an ally is an ally is somebody who has their own purpose, has their own goals, has their own things they're working on, but they come alongside and help us in our time of need. And this is what God does with woman. He doesn't sit there and go, well, your role is to simply only help Adam and you're just going to be there as a special assistant to be available whenever he needs something. Instead, it's this picture of what God does with us involved in what she is created for. And one of the things she's created for is to come alongside and be an ally to man. Created out of man to stand with man to help in this need that man has. 
But this picture of helper, the better word for us might be ally. And this is how God does this. In this moment that God creates woman to meet this need. And this word that's used is the same word that's used of God. It's not as a slave or an assistant. But this idea, though, when we get nervous about it, and even now some of you might be thinking, well, I think it's more pointed. I think it does say that God made a a helpmate fit for man, that type of thing. I will just say this. You're missing the point. I think we all miss the point. The point in this passage is not actually about the woman at all. Do you realize that when we read this in Genesis 2, 18 to 25, the woman does absolutely nothing? And some of you are like, yeah, I know that woman. (laughs) Sorry. This story doesn't include Eve helping in any way. This story is about God helping Do you understand that? Everything that's done in this passage is what God does. And we get all wrapped up about one word and whether this is the right way to look at this picture. And you're missing what the the point of the story, excuse me, the point of the story is, is the story that God is a helper. God steps in again and again to be a helper. Let me give you an example. In 1 Kings 17, you know this story well. This is after Elijah prophesies that there's going to be a drought coming upon all of Israel. And that does come true. God says to Elijah, people aren't going to like you because you've done this. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to run off and hide. And so he prophesies the drought. And then he says, go to the brook of Cherith. And so Elijah goes there. And while he's there, then God sends ravens. And this is verse four. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So God literally brings ravens to bring Elijah food in the middle of this drought, right by a brook that God keeps running with water. So God's providing the water and God provides the ravens. Nowhere in life do we stop and think it's all about the ravens, right? This story isn't about the ravens. That's cool. I'm glad that God sent the ravens, but we recognize that as a gift from God. That's the point here. When we read Genesis 18 to 25, we should recognize that women are a gift from God. We may not fully understand what it means to be helper or ally or any other thing. We may not fully understand women. The concept is there's so much we don't know. That was established in the very beginning. God knows we have needs Before we even know, he guides us and teaches along the way because he knows we don't know. And then along the way, he helps. And this story about the help, even though woman has been created to be a help fit for man, designed by God for that purpose, the bigger story here is about God himself helping in the middle of this. It's not about the ravens. Um... The concept, though, is there's a danger when we begin to treat women as assistants. There's a a concept even in this story that plays out. Mitch and I were having a, a, we were talking about this passage. And and Mitch, I I wrote it down as, as good as I could when we were talking about it. But Mitch just simply said, sometimes we treat God like we treat women. As if they exist somehow only to serve us like some kind of personal assistant. 
He was speaking about the demeaning way we sometimes treat women as men. But he put it further and said, sometimes with that same concept, we treat God the same way as if he only exists to somehow meet our needs, to serve us. Like God is just there. Should we have a need? Then like, oh, now I'll call God. Now I'm going to get God on the phone because I'm in trouble and I have a need. And now it's time for me to reach out. I've got an assistant who might help me in this moment. He's an ally. He's with us all the time, walking through all of our struggles with us all the time. Whether we ask him or not, he's actively involved. When Adam is asleep, God is doing great work. When we're not paying attention, God is doing great work. This picture of how we treat God as an ally is an important part of this story. This infinite loving creator thought up the the beautiful idea of a woman, thought up the beautiful idea of marriage. And that was thousands and thousands of years ago. And to this day, it is still the backbone and the cornerstone of every culture on this planet. This is idea hasn't gone away. It hasn't failed. In fact, it has been the driving force for community. The core and the nucleus of everything about humanity is a male and a female coming together to becoming one flesh, making a family. And God's idea is brilliant. It is a beautiful idea played out all throughout time. This last thing is the the one experience that I have at length with a woman is with my wife, Eugenie. And she's going to hate that I bring her up. She always does that I might talk about her. But here's the deal. I can speak with confidence about how what God created was wonderful because I've seen it happen in my own life. The idea is this, that when I first met Eugenie, I was single, I was living up in the mountains and I literally had a little uh, bedroom with a small little bathroom and I would sleep with the the windows open and in the wintertime, literally my little sink would freeze. It would have icicles coming out of the faucet and I would just have one big comforter over me and I barely ever washed the sheets. I was an introvert. I simply loved to read books. I would show up and work and as soon as I got off work, I'd either go take a hike or I would read. And I loved to be alone, and I was a closed-in, shy, quiet, kind of a misfit with very little interpersonal skills. Some of you are like, yeah, Jeff, you still haven't changed. That's that's the man I know. No, I, I can actually stand up here and be different because of this one woman's impact in my life. As she began to, to speak life into me and to speak truth into me, it began to shape how I thought of myself. The concept, when we, one of our first dates, we lived at Hume Lake and we were going down to Fresno, which was an hour and a half away. We got in the car and she tells this story all the time. But the, the idea was we had pretty much gotten all the way to Fresno and I haven't said a single word. That's the, the psychosis I was in. I needed help. And God knew I needed help before I needed help. I thought that was okay. I thought that was normal. And she goes, that's not okay. You have to say like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, something. Just let me know you can hear me. 
that concept went on and I could tell story after story, but, but that particular woman has followed me as I drug her up to live in the mountains. And this is like a, a weird, Hume Lake is bizarre. I know it's fun when you go to camp, but if you're on staff there, you're living a far away from everybody else with a small group of people. It's like a little commune. It's just kind of creepy at times. And I said, why don't you come live with me up here? And she did. And then we went off to Bible college in order to afford college. We found an apartment that was above a funeral home that we would get free rent and utilities by picking up bodies every other night and weekends. She said, okay. And then after Hume, I take her to Seattle to work with the homeless. And she said, okay. And then we had to go to Fullerton. She said, okay, but along the way, not only did she speak wisdom into my life, not only did she stand with me in my tough times and my struggles and go through those pains with me, she was a friend. And I shouldn't use past tense. (laughs) She still is a friend. She still is my wife. I don't want somebody to think she's died or, or anything else. But she has been with me all throughout some of the most painful chapters in my life. She has been with me throughout some of the most beautiful chapters in my life. God has provided for me a helper fit for me. And God has used her to transform me in remarkable ways. There's no one else who could have done that. But even that, I love Eugenie, she's awesome. But that's a gift from God. That's the generosity of God. And this is the thing. When we look at the principles that are laid out in this story, I could tell more stories about how Eugenie set aside some of her own dreams to help me fulfill mine. My successes were possible because she sacrificed on another end. Those are great things Eugenie did. But all of those stories pale in comparison to the fact that at the very beginning, I was given life by a God who could give life. That this story comes in and says, I have had needs met by a God who knew I had needs before I knew I had them. That along the way, this God has taught me and used all kinds of things like he uses animals here in this story. He has used all kinds of things in my life, including Eugenie. And she whispers wisdom into my life. Even on a morning like today, there are three different things I'm not saying today that she said, yeah, don't say that. (laughs) Wise, very wise. Here's the point, the bottom line. God knows, he teaches us, He's generous, he gives, and he helps. And here's why that matters. So what? So what that that's about the character of God? People, we as a church are supposed to be modeling him. There's all kinds of things about this passage. We could be talking about marriage. We could talk about the roles of a woman. But I want to focus on one particular thing as we wrap it up. And it's just this. It's the idea that God himself stops and says, I know I'm going to teach you. I'm going to be generous with you and I'm going to help you. Then by us naturally, what should come out of us is those same things that we would be people that know those around us. As Darren talks about the circle strategy of this church, that we would get involved in those people that are directly around us, that are uniquely connected to us and recognize we have a role to know them intimately and be involved in their life. 
that that should matter. We should know what their needs are and be meeting their needs even before they know they have it. That we should disciple others. We should teach and guide others. We should walk with others when they're looking for guidance and counsel. That we should be generous and be givers. That we should be looking at ways that we can bless others by what we can bring to them. And finally, that we should be others' allies and helpers. That we would come along this city and this community and our neighbors and our family and our husbands and wives. And we should be looking at how we too can be helpers and givers and teachers, lovers, who God is. Just in case you miss it, the concept is, is you're needy. You need God. So the number one thing we should be doing is let God be your helper. Some of us right now desperately need help. Some of us are lonely. Some of us are hurting. Some of us have struggles that we just go, well, I don't know what I can do about what's coming down the pike from my life. I don't know. This is God saying, I'm here to help. This story is about how God helps us if we lean into him. My encouragement to every one of us is that we will remember this truth, truth that our God is a helper and we would let him and then we would be like him. Let me pray for us. Lord, I am just so grateful for your thought and idea of creating a woman. And Lord, I would tell you, it is very good. But the bottom line, Lord, is that you are even better. You are so much better. That even the idea of creating a woman is just a gift to all of us. Every one of us. And I would ask, Lord, though, that uh, for those of us who might be hurting this morning, that might be feeling like we're in trouble in so many different ways, that we have needs, that we have loneliness, that we have sufferings, that, Lord, we would be able to lean into you today, that we would be able to see your, your ability to help, that your desire to help is written all throughout Scripture. And, Lord, that you would call us as a church to be excellent at these very things, that the character traits of, of how to meet others' needs and to be sensitive to those needs, how to walk alongside and disciple others and to teach and guide others, how to be generous, Lord, but above all, how to help others in their times of need. Lord, that this church would be a bright light for you and the gospel because of what you have modeled to us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name.